We're coming to the end of what has been, for some, a very long year. Summer's just around the corner and water, sun and surf promise welcome relief. But locals at a picturesque holiday beach town in the Bay of Plenty are worried. Five years ago, somebody said it was a great white in the harbour. And I thought they were just talking rubbish. Now, the stories are twice weekly about someone catching or seeing a white. Yeah, I, I, I tell you what, I wouldn't go swimming. <laughs> I'm not that I'm a swimmer. Kia ora, I'm Jessie Chang, and today on The Detail, there are great white sharks in the water off Boeingtown in Waihi. And residents say they don't want a repeat of what happened last summer when a young woman died after being attacked by one. A death at Waihi Beach suspected to be a shark attack. It's the first fatal shark attack in New Zealand since 2013. Why are great whites setting up shop in new places and what can we do about it? Never have we seen these Eastern Harbour, which are more like where you go to swim in the summer kind of beaches. You know, where we swim, we've, we've largely been kind of shark hotspot free. Hey, Stu, it's Jesse here. I'm about two minutes away. Okay. I'm just pulling my golf clubs down out of the shed. <laughs> Going to go and have a round with my brother before we go fishing. Stu Kurd is the Commodore at the Bowentown Boating and Sport Fishing Club. He's also a long-time resident of the area. I was actually brought up in Waihee Beach, or Waihee, and went away for 25, 30 years, came back in 2001, and um, lived here ever since, and really love Waihee Beach, very patriotic towards it. Um, what do you love about it? Oh, it's just a beautiful, safe beach, and, like, I'm, I can go golfing this afternoon and then fishing tomorrow and yeah. But it's what's out in the water that is now worrying Stu Kurt. And we've always had bronze whalers in the harbour, you know, there's, there wouldn't be a fisherman here that hasn't seen half a dozen of them, but they're fairly harmless, they just take your fish. But these, the great whites are different, they're really keen on jumping on things and yeah, all sorts of horrible stories. Five years ago, somebody said there was a great white in the harbour and I thought they were just talking rubbish. Now, the stories are twice weekly about someone catching or seeing a white. You know, they're ranging from just little juvenile ones that are 1.2, 2 metres, or 1.8 metres, up to uh, the big angry fish guys have seen one evidently that was the width, it's petrol to petrol, was the width of their boat, which would have to be a very large female. And it was going everywhere, went around the front of the boat, and I thought it was going to hook onto our anchor rope for a while there, but so I cut the line, and then within 10 seconds of that, it fully breached straight up in the air, full length out of the water, within between two and three metres from my boat. Bowen Town local Pete Rogers was just enjoying an ordinary day of fishing when he encountered a great white shark. Yeah, it's good to see one, but I mean, pretty. it was a neat sight to see, but it would have been better if it was further away, of course, but yeah, just yeah, incredible. Yeah. Are you concerned that locals are seeing more Great whites. Oh yeah. Around well, Dave Hope. Dave Hope. We know him very well, and he he had that one hit his boat. And um, my daughter and her partner. That was about four or five weeks ago. I think it was maybe more. They had. They've got a tinny, and they were in the harbour, and um, one jumped, you know, a little bit further away from the boat. But he had a little grandson on board, six year old, and um, yeah, they reckon it was pretty scary. So mm. yeah, and you know, like everyone, every, everyone I know has gone fishing has just about encountered this great white or whatever. Where there's someone said there might be a couple of them. Yeah, I'd be worried about swimming on Anzac Bay down that end.
myself, <laughs> even pedalling out there, you know, like especially if you've got a little wetsuit on. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like a bit of a situation in the area. Yeah, yeah, well, if it was Australia, you know, and, and seeing one that close all the time, they, they'll have, um, they usually do something about it, don't they? They usually put a spotter plane up or a, maybe you might have to put a net around Anzac Bay, I don't know, but not saying, but that young girl got killed last year, wasn't it? Witnesses say a young woman killed by a shark at a Waihi beach yesterday had been swept up to sea before the attack. Distraught lifeguards at Waihi beach are receiving counselling and have been stood down after witnessing a fatal shark attack yesterday. The guards were within 10 metres of a woman in her 20s when she was attacked. I can never foresee a tragedy, but I could foresee the risk. Dr Riley Elliott is a shark scientist and has travelled all over the world studying the marine predators. For part of the year, he's based in Tairua in the Coromandel, and he first heard about abnormal great white sightings in the summer of 2019. Right below my house here, I'm overlooking Pawanui Beach, mm. and a surfer got bumped off his board and his board got bit by a great white shark. And for me with a background in researching great whites from South Africa and where I surfed every day and was like, oh my goodness, this is a really hard contrast between surfing and then driving a kilometre offshore to study great whites. I stopped surfing, but I was like, that's South Africa. In the Coromandel, a great white to pop up here, I was like, whoa. Like, my specialty just came into my backyard and that felt quite weird. Mm. And I was a bit concerned. And then a great white a couple of weeks later was spotted in Bowentown Harbour. And I was like, wow, okay, maybe a one-off. But then the following summer, which is the one just gone, Great Whites just popped up in, in crazy numbers. And this was from people putting out long lines off the beach, catching them accidentally, uh, sitting on their little tinny fishing boats with a burly out for snapper, and, and a big Great White comes up and bites their burly off, to people in kayaks and paddleboarders seeing them, to, to game fishermen catching them accidentally, and... From all those images that I started seeing, I was able to identify from their dorsal fins, which are like fingerprints, 15 individual great white sharks in Bowentown over just the three-month summer period. Wow. And unfortunately, you know, in January of that period, uh, a poor girl called Kaylee tragically died from a mm. great white bite. And I had submitted a permit in with Doc in December, which was a month before the fatality, because I could see that having that many great white sharks in one of our most popular summer oceanic destinations is about awareness. You know, like you, you don't just walk into the savannah, let's go all play tennis there and not think about lions, you know. But we never had to previously in this region because great whites really weren't a thing here. But it is something that we've seen in California with climate change pushing warmer water into other regions and, and spreading out the habitat range of juvenile great whites. And in East Australia, it's happening as well. And some recent tagging work there from a colleague of mine shows that those juveniles and sub-adults are actually coming right over to New Zealand and to our east, New, eastern New Zealand corner. So bottom line was that the, the, the pictures really changed. And I never want to put the fear of sharks into people. But at the same time, people shouldn't be naive. And I think New Zealanders are very good at, at understanding the risk of the natural world because we live in such a wild place. And... The calls that I've had from this region in Bowentown is like, we just want information. We want to know how to make our own decisions. What they say basically is we're not shark specialists. Sharks haven't been here like this before. So, like, help us out. And mm. uh, I think it's critically important because, like, honestly, I just went to the gym this morning and then I went and swam in the Tyro estuary, which is between Pawanui and Tyro. Very similar 
kind of area to what Bowmantown is. And I'm floating in the water there where usually we know there's just bronze whalers. But in the back of my head, I'm like, what if a great white just came up to me right now? Because they're here, apparently. You know, and, and for me, thinking that as someone who knows, you know, a lot about sharks, I can't imagine what the public is thinking. And, and on one hand, I don't want them to be worrying about it because that's not their job. You know, that's scientists and conservation department's jobs is to give them that information. But on the other hand, I don't want them just going into an area where we've got evidence of a populace of great whites, you know, just totally blasé. So you can probably tell by the tone and the back and forth of my voice mm. that it's like it's quite a conundrum. And um, like it's a little bit scary, especially timed with the surge of post-lockdown um, Aucklanders and, and Waikato people who, you know, deserve a, a lovely summer holiday. Dr Elliot says there are a lot of factors that could be causing great whites to become regular visitors in the area. The ocean is a fluid environment and you never, well, very rarely will it be one thing that causes a change. Now, the climate change factor is, is the good example in Southern California was that a big warm water patch pushed up past a huge peninsula they have there and it, and it enabled this warm water body to stay in this region. And juvenile great whites, like babies, they love this kind of nursery habitat. Shallow, inshore, warm water. You know, you can imagine it's the kindergarten for sharks. And they've noticed that these great whites have just stayed there. And it overlaps with their most popular Southern California beaches. Uh, East Australia, we saw it too, where, where the, the nursery grounds have expanded because warmer water has pushed around and resided for longer. But the other thing you've got to contrast with that is that we've protected great whites uh, I believe since 2004, um, maybe even earlier in some regions. If you catch one, you hook it on your fishing rod and it gets off, you need to report that to dock. If you catch one and you land it and you get it, it's hook out and you put it back in the ocean and release it, you need to report that to dock. Even disturbing a great white shark is illegal. And disturbing means doing anything to uh, change its natural behavior to move, change its movement, its path, its whatever it was normally doing. And when you protect something because it's in danger, the goal is to make its populace grow. Uh, now, great whites mature very late. They have very few pups. But you've got to imagine that we're getting going to get more of the next generation. And with that, we've also protected the food source largely, which is seals. We've also reduced netting inshore and, and estuaries, which, which increases the juvenile's food source. So we've done a lot of things, you know, which are great indicators. And having great whites in Tauranga Harbour reflects that that is a very healthy ecosystem. It's like a tick from, you know, the ocean god to say, well done here. You know, you've got the apex predator in here. It's like having tigers back in Indonesian forests or whatnot, mm. you know. So, so it's really, really cool. But at the same time, if you don't go in there and look for exactly why those sharks are there, you can't understand what they're doing and when they're doing it, and then therefore you can't relate that behavior and movement to our behavior, which is what you really want to know. Because not only is it risky for us to overlap with them, it's risky for the sharks to overlap with us. And we saw a fatality of a great white um, in Pilot Bay in the same area last summer where someone caught one and killed one. We saw where people have caught them on fishing lines bring them up on the beach and like don't really know how to handle them properly because why would they? They're not shark handlers. Um, and the sharks can die from that. And 
all of this kind of culminates to why I've had to go and get a doc permit in, on the process of getting it because doc is the one who manages, you know, these animals and it's illegal to disturb a great white shark, let alone harm one in any way. That is the frustration right now as we're coming to another summer after a whole bunch of great whites were seen last summer and we had a fatality and the public in this region are calling out desperately for information. And I'm doing loop-de-loops with a seemingly bureaucratic system that just keeps going back and forth and back and forth and back and forth with three-month delays between an email, you know, when I get back to them on the exact same day with the questions that they ask. So it's difficult, and I feel powerless in the situation when I'm one of two shark scientists in this country who can literally give these people the information they require and help these sharks out. What has Doc been telling you? Well, the difficult thing is you apply for your permit and you outline your methodology, how you're going to use science and research to provide information for the benefit of this animal, which is Doc's priority, not necessarily the public's priority, which I found interesting given they prioritise that on our great walks. They make sure people don't get hurt by putting anti-slip stuff because they're responsible on their land. But... They made it very clear to me it was only about the animal's well-being that I had to look at. And I provided methodology, which is status quo around the world, from my fellow researchers who do it, and I've partaken in it in Australia, for example, where you tag the sharks and you track them and you can see where they're going, where they are, when they're there, and what they're doing. And that provides insight as to what's important for them as far as habitat use, but also how that overlaps with us. And the frustrating thing is, is I put in the least invasive method of tagging them, which is just with a pole, a little dart. You put it into the base of their dorsal fin and you can track them like that. But the questions that I got back from them were things like, oh, won't the shark get tangled up in this tag? And in fact, they said, you can't use this tag because they're going to get tangled up in it. And the, the tether on the tag is only 10 centimetres to 20 centimetres long. The tail of the shark is six feet away from that. So it was just a frustrating process where it was as if, they didn't quite understand the methodology that they were ultimately dismissing. So I pivoted and went to another tag methodology. And eight months later, there are multiple hurdles of three-month gaps in communication. They come back saying, no, no, you can't use this methodology. You need to use what we recommend as tether tags, which is what I had proposed to them in the very first place. And so 11 months have gone by, and I am back to the exact thing that I put in in the first place. I just don't understand the process that is going on, and it's putting people and endangered animals at risk. Does that mean you think it's quite unlikely that they'll actually approve your permit by the end of the summer? I basically am at a real conundrum because I've patiently and proactively waited 11 months because I wanted to respect, look, it's a bureaucratic department, things take time. But it's got to a point where locals are concerned, they reached out to the media the media reached out to me. I have simply given the media the facts of the process that I've gone through so that the public can understand that I'm not sitting here being lazy, that I've done everything I can. And the fact is, Doc has had 11 months to address this. They still haven't. I, I think that they'll be like, oh, we're breaking on summer holiday now, and this won't happen until after summer. And my greatest fear is that someone gets bit, a shark gets killed, or worst-case scenario, a person does. 
The Department of Conservation says it's in ongoing conversations with Dr Riley Elliott. Doc says it advised him that his earlier proposals weren't fit for purpose and could allow for instances where the animal could be injured. It suggested amendments for him to consider in order for the application to be progressed. Meanwhile, there are other shark hotspots in New Zealand. Stewart Island is a known hangout for great white sharks because there are lots of seals there. For juveniles, we're looking at western places, so places like the Kaipara and Manukau harbours. It's important to understand where hotspots of more dangerous animals like great whites are because um, you overlap with them and they do hunt things that are your size. And these animals of this age is another important factor because... They're, they're shifting their prey from inshore fish and stingrays to seals. And their mum isn't there to teach them that. They have to learn it innately. And it's kind of the equivalent to a 14-year-old on his driver's licence for the first time. You know, they, they do make mistakes sometimes. And, and, and you kind of want to, like, just give them the space of practising for a while before, you know, you overlap on the road with them. It's just about context. But... Clearly, there's something very unique in Bone Town, so we really need to understand this place more. And most importantly, I think, just just provide the people who live there a holiday there with the right information. Because, look, it's no fun for anyone, a kid or an adult, to worry about the boogeyman under the bed. And in the ocean, the shark is that boogeyman. Um, but if you can, as a parent will have known, take your child and show them under the bed that there's nothing there or at least understand it, we can do that with sharks. And we've done that around the world and it enables us to coexist with them, respect them, enjoy them. Once you understand what is going on, is there something else that you would be able to do to, I don't know, move the great whites away? Yeah, well, there's a variety of things. I think the first one is... Uh, moving the great whites away is something that I don't think any New Zealander would would want to do because, number one, it's not natural. Number two, that's their home, not ours. Believe it or not, sharks do live in the ocean, is what I say to people, because we, we seem to forget that. And and number three is is we've seen that happen in places like Australia, which they do very knee-jerk, political, ineffective responses like shark culls, shark nets, drum lining all these things to to basically kill sharks. And it doesn't actually reduce the risk of shark attacks. And it is inhumane and disgusting, in my opinion, and I think most people. So what you can do, which we've seen in other parts of the world, like California, Rhode Island, South Africa, and also now in New South Wales and Australia, actually, is you use science to enable us to coexist better. If you tag sharks, you know where they are every time their dorsifin comes up out of the surface, or you have acoustic tags on them, which gets detected by moored receivers at popular beaches and can send off an alarm that there's a tagged shark in the beach area. We can get people out of the water. You can use drone surveillance. You can use a bunch of variety of other non-lethal mechanisms to learn how to coexist when we start living in areas where these predators also are. Um, these things are all possible, and and I think that information is, is is just key for the public, so they're just not walking into you know a potentially risky scenario without knowing it. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's been done. This is this frustrating thing. It's not like I'm trying to reinvent a wheel here. This this exact scenario has happened in South Africa. It's happened already in California. It's happening right now in Rhode Island, and it's happening in East Australia. 
all the methodology has been laid out. Everything is there. I've done it all around the world with these scientists. And now I'm trying to do it in my backyard, but it seems like I'm just in an uphill battle. Mm. Um, and six weeks away from Christmas, I literally get up every morning with like a knot in my stomach because of this. This is an absolute passion of mine, but it's also my job. And, and I really love teaching people and educating them about these animals. They're the doctors and the garbage men of the sea. To put it simply, they eat things, you know. They, they eat, and they eat things that are slower and weaker and overpopulated. And so in that sense, they keep the populations of fish and mammals and other sea creatures in check. Therefore, they literally manage the entire balance of the marine ecosystem from the equator to the poles. What we've done, unfortunately, in the last 30 years is remove 90% of the world sharks. So I love the animals myself, but I also love the process of emotionally engaging people in nature and improving their understanding of their backyard. And, you know, I learned this through an internship um, in South Africa, which I later went back and run. And actually, timingly, what's kind of cool is I've got a, a TV series that's coming out on TV3 online called Shark Academy with Discovery Channel, which is all about... Um, an internship we ran over in the Bahamas where we offered up the opportunity to anyone around the world to be selected and come and learn the A to Z of sharks. And so if you're interested in learning more about sharks, tune into that. And uh, also, if you see any sharks around this summer, feel free to reach out to me, um, ask me any questions and, and share whatever videos or photos you get because the more we know through citizen science like that, especially right now when I can't do actual science if mm. I get a permit, uh, the better. That's it for today. I'm Jessie Chang. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom and RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every weekday on any podcast platform. Adrian Holley engineered this episode, Alexia Russell produced it, and thanks to Stu Kurd, Pete Rogers and Dr Riley Elliott. Ka kite anō.